This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Wednesday, January 26th, 2022. And we have a Hall of Famer. The writers have inducted David Ortiz to the Baseball Hall of Fame. He is not going to be the only member of the class of 2022. There are six other members we've talked about a couple times over the last few weeks. Uh, he'll be joining names like Minnie Minoso and Gil Hodges and Buck O'Neill and all the other names we talked about from the Eric Committees. But the news of the day that everybody's interested in is the writers put in David Ortiz on the first ballot. Obviously, there's some larger names who didn't get in. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what's interesting to us and what this might mean for the future. But before we get into Ortiz, Matt, I want to I want to ask you something. I want to offer a thought, and I feel like you might disagree with me on this. I I know everybody hates Hall of Fame season increasingly. It's frustrating and it's infuriating and no one is happy in the end. Um, but I kind of love it. <laughs> I kind of, I love it. I mean, they're, they're annoying arguments. And I think this year definitely marks like a turning point in how those arguments are going to change in the future for sure. But I love arguing about, you know, for some guys, it's baseball reasons like Scott Rowland and Bobby Abreu. For some guys, it's certainly not baseball reasons, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's a, a good thing to pay attention to in the middle of January. Like I know nothing is happening in baseball right now, but it's January 26th. That's pretty much true every January in terms of baseball. I like having this to focus on. And I don't know. I just love arguing with people about baseball. And I, I totally understand if you might feel the the opposite and say, no, this is just infuriating. And I'm glad we're done with this for the year. I'm, I don't fully disagree. I mean, I used to really like Hall of Fame debates. I think like the whole Vons Clemens thing is just, been sort of exhausting and and I'm kind of I'm just so bored of it that I'm kind of glad they're off the ballot um because you know the, to see people still kind of like putting out like hot takes of like here's why Bond should be in the Hall of Fame it's like yeah I get it but like we've been doing this for 10 years it was, it's been very obvious for a few years now they were not going to get in by the writers and like it's just sort of like a boring a boring discussion from from my perspective I guess you know the um the one thing I will say is like I'm looking forward to the, the the debates going forward because, like, um, you know, these guys will be off. So I'm hoping that, like, granted, I'm not sure the Carlos Beltran discourse is going to be much better next year, but I'm really <laughs> glad that we can focus more on more we can focus on more on more what happened on the field. I think that's more of an interesting debate. Like our last podcast, we talked it was like fun to talk about these guys, like comparing you know Roland to Abreu to Ortiz, and like we're really just mostly talking about like baseball players and the standards of the Hall of Fame. And I think that's great. One thing I don't, honestly, and this is where I might be on the minority, and you, you may have heard me say this before, either on this podcast or in conversation. I have nothing but respect for the effort that like Ryan Thibodeau and the tracker people have put in to these efforts. And I think that, you know, the public ballots are out there. I think it's cool that they, I mean, that, that someone has taken the time to do this. I think it's bad for the process. It makes, it takes away any suspense or most of the suspense from the process for me, I wish people 
did not publish their ballots in advance. I think it'd be more fun if we had absolutely no idea where anyone stood and the announcement came. It was like, okay, who's going to get in? Like going in, we basically knew for sure for weeks. It was like, okay, it's going to be Ortiz and it's going to be close. And like that's, there was some suspense at least, but like at the same time, there was no suspense on anything else. And I think, I think to me, that's actually kind of hurt the process. Mm, I think I disagree with you. I, I think I like that it's out there. Um, I was actually part of the group that voted to ta- ask the hall to force all votes to be public, and the hall said no. So I guess I'm, I really I'm not do. saying I'm not saying we, we could do it like we do like the awards where it's ballots are made public after the fact. I'm not saying keep them keep them private. I'm saying don't reveal them in advance to take away the suspense of the announcement. That's my point. To be clear, uh, that's that's fair. Um, and, and for the record, I think the writers messed up a little bit here by not putting in Bonds and Clemens. Uh, but to be clear, it, the Hall of Fame did not want them in, right? I thought this was a really interesting fact that Jason Stark had at The Athletic. And I don't know if you saw this already. He looked at, um, he split up the writers, the voters, in terms of when they obtained their vote. Like some of them have been voting for decades and some of them are brand new. Of the voters who gained their vote just in the last five years, 86% voted for Bonds and Clements, um, which pretty much makes it clear that when the Hall changed the length of eligibility from 15 years to 10 years in the middle of their candidacies, they did not want Bonds and Clements to get in. Um, I don't know. I just, I feel like everyone's killing the writers and I'm not unbiased here and fine, but the Hall did not want them in and the players would not vote for them. We'll get to what's going to happen in the future. I, I'm with you that I'm glad that those guys are off the ballot. I'm disappointed that this is the way it ended. I think it, baseball is worse off for it. Um, but I'm, I'm much more excited to talk about, yeah, you're right, Carlos Beltran next year. We should talk about David Ortiz for a minute, though. David Ortiz is a Hall of Famer. Were you surprised? I I thought he was going to get in, um, but I, I kind of felt like I was in the minority there. I, I think most people thought he wouldn't. Yeah, looking at the public tracking, you know, and I did look, you know, yesterday, and it going into, like, based on, like, the, the latest count that was public, he needed like to be named on 66% of private ballots, more than 66% of private ballots to be inducted. And I thought he was going to fall short. I actually thought he was going to fall slightly short. I was a little surprised because usually the the private ballots are more small hall people. That's just generally been the case where they might vote for only two or three people, whereas the public ballots are people who are more likely to vote for, for eight to 10. Uh, and Ortiz is a unique case, right? Because he has... He has a lot of the soft factors that a lot of like more old school people generally like in terms of, you know, postseason heroics, you know, really passing the fame test kind of thing. On the flip side, he had the, you know, connection to a PD test and the fact that he was a DH only. So he was like, it was a unique case. So I was, I wouldn't say I was surprised, but I was, ex- I was expecting him to end up in like the 72, 73% range. But uh, obviously I was, I was a little bit off and I was, you know, I, I, had I been voting this year, I would have voted for him. So I was glad to see him, see him get, get the induction. I, uh, I've seen a number of people have a take that I find really bothersome, and that is that, oh, he was terrible with the Twins. He was bad in his six years there, and then he went to the Red Sox, and he magically got better. And it's like, hold on a second. When he was with the Twins, he had a 108 OPS plus, or 100 is average. So I know we weren't using OPS plus in those days, right? But it was slightly above average. His last year there, he had 20 homers and a 500 slugging percentage. Like, it's infuriating to me that people think he only got good in Boston. And I'm pretty sure the last time we did a podcast... I had a quote from him where he's like, uh, yeah, in Minnesota, they wanted me to try to hit the ball to all fields. And in Boston, they basically just wanted me to hit the hell out of the ball. <laughs> it's like, OK, cool. Um, it's, 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 it's a weird one. So like he was 
like the twins at that time were seen as kind of like they were sort of like at the time in the like in the baseball discussion in the baseball universe they were sort of like the the A's were were the moneyball team they were like the cool forward thinking team and then they were like the twins were the their counter their small market counterpart who were winning despite playing more of a traditional pitch to contact kind of way with a lot of guys you know they didn't have a lot of three two outcomes hitters and like Ortiz ran against everything else the twin you know, the twin the twins of that time were like you know Doug Minkavich and Jock Jones and AJ Pruszynski this was before I mean Joe Bauer was drafted in 2001 this was like before Joe Bauer was like part of the team but in 2002 his last year year there the twins won 94 games and won their division by 13 games so it was like they had a lot of benefit of the doubt in terms of like how they ran their team and it was definitely considered like the old school scouting organization um, now I think probably in retrospect, we were a little blinded by the fact that like the rest of the AL central was just terrible at the time. And it was actually pretty, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 I mean, the Tigers won 55 games that year. The Royals won 62 games that year. Like it, it was a really bad division. So I think the twins were just like the best of a bad group and probably were a little bit behind the times in ways we didn't fully realize because they were winning a weak division. And man, how many hall of famers were released in their twenties? Right, like David Ortiz, like is he the only only Hall of Fame ever to sort of like fit that bill? It's kind of crazy, right? Um, I don't have a good answer to that, but I'm positive he is not the only one, right? There had to be somebody who was like you know DFA'd, not traded, like lots of guys have been traded, you know, like Jeff Bagwell was a minor leader who got traded, and I'm sure now I want to know, and I I'm stalling because I'm trying to think of somebody <laughs> and I really can't. <laughs> um. But now when we're done, I'm going to have to go look that up and maybe I'll see if I can find that out and tweet it. Because I'm like, I'm sure that that has happened. And it's probably, you know what I'm going to guess? I'm going to guess it's released in a in a way that's not the kind of released that we think of now. It was probably someone who like, I don't know, had a tryout in the 1930s and played like a week with the Tigers D-League team or something. <laughs> and they got cut. Is that, that's probably what it's going to be. I don't I mean, really Tra- know Tra- Tra- Trevor Hoffman was in the... Uh, the uh, the expansion draft. So there, there's, there's, okay, there's, there's, there's that. One other point I'll make about David Ortiz, and a lot of people forget, is he actually came up with the Mariners. And there's actually a great yeah. story that we ran in 2020 on MILB.com that we resurfaced, written by Rob Terranova. That's, you should check it out on the site today. Basically about how in 1996, when he was in low A in the Mariners system, and this was like the peak of the Mariners being like cool with Griffey and like young A-Rod. He was playing in low A and like the Mariners came through. This used to happen a lot in like the 80s and 90s. Where, like the major league club would go play an ex- exhibition game at an affiliate to try and like drum up interest, sell tickets and get people excited in the team. And so they went, the Mariners went to this, the low A affiliate to play a game and it rained terribly and the drainage was terrible. And Lou Pinella, the Mariners manager at the time was like, we're not playing on this field. Like, sorry, I'm not putting Gangrovy Jr. out on this like low A field and playing this game. So instead of playing a game, they decided to do a home run derby, which actually was probably cooler because like instead of like Ken Griffey taking one at bat and like leaving and maybe never getting the ball hit to him, these like fans in this low A park got to watch Griffey, A-Rod, and, and Dan Wilson, who had just been an all-star, uh, by the way, for the one diamond square, take a home run derby against the Mariners low affiliate. And apparently according to legend, a young David Ortiz like blew them all away in this home run derby, which is pretty cool. I've never heard that story before. And um, I kind of love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. A fond farewell. Here's a couple of guys who uh, didn't make the 5% and they are done and won't be coming back. Joe Nathan. I was a little surprised. Didn't get the 5%. Tim Hudson, Tim Linscombe, Ryan Howard, 
Mark Deshera, Justin Morneau, Jonathan Papelbon, uh, AJ Brzezinski, Carl Crawford, and Jake Peavy. I, I have Prince Fielder on my list. I don't even remember him being on the, on the eligible list, but I think maybe I typo that. No, he was there. He got two votes for Prince Fielder. Okay. Uh, and then coming back next year, Scott Rowland, Todd Helton, Billy Wagner, Andre Jones, Gary Sheffield, Alex Rodriguez, Jeff Kent, Manny Ramirez, Omar Vizquel, Andy Pettit, Jimmy Rollins, Bobby Abreu, Mark Burley, and Tori Hunter. We are going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the guys who are coming back next year who are very clearly trending towards induction. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. We had a couple of interesting names who didn't make it into the Hall of Fame on the ballot this week, but also are still going to be on next year. There are three names I want to point out who are on a clear upward trajectory. Uh, and I'm interested to hear, Matt, if and when you think these three guys make it in. Uh, Scott Rowland has five years left on uh, you know his tenure maximum, and he has gone in his five years from 10% in his first year on the ballot up and up and up and up 63% this time. Todd Helton has six years left. He went from 17% his first time up and up and up to 52%. Billy Wagner's three years left. He was a steady 11% for the first couple of years, 51% this last time, other than Bonds and Clemens and Kurt Schilling. Everyone to ever get to 50% has now made it into the Hall of Fame. I don't want to say Scott Rowland's a slam dunk, but it seems pretty close. Like you're going to have this log jam off the ballot next year. I think I'd be almost stunned if he does not get in next year. Uh, I think that's right. Um, his his rise has been remarkable and 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 very steady, as you noted. And with Carlos Beltran, the only sort of like debatable Hall of Famer joining the ballot next year, I think there's going to be a lot of. There's always just like a little bit of feeling of like, despite the fact that there are some years where no one gets in. I think that there's always a feeling of like, hey, it's probably a good idea if we induct someone. And I think that like Roland is going to be the natural choice for like support to gravitate towards him. Um, and I think that like it seems like he will probably he will probably get there, probably get there, if not next year, the year after. So I think it's you know it's certainly possible next year that like he he won't quite get there because that's an, will be another big jump. But I I think it's going to happen. I I think so too. Um... Todd Helton has six years left. He's gone from 17% to 29% to 45% to 52%. His big sticking point, I think, is uh, that he played in Coors Field. I mean, we went through each of these guys a couple weeks ago. I've I've had no issue with him being a Coors Field guy, but I'm trying to remember. He was the one we differed on, right? Wasn't he the guy where I said, yes, I'd vote him in, and you said no? Um, I think so. I'm, I mean, again, like it's one of those where if, saying it now on a podcast, I kind of go back and forth. If I had to, you know, if I was actually voting and had to sit down, I, I think I would think long and hard. And again, it would also depend on, you know, the ballot. Like when I was looking at the, the ballot this year and doing a fictional ballot with a 10 person limit, um, it's a tough thing. But like thinking as a voter next year, if I was a voter next year with, you know, so many of these, you know, these folks off the ballot and the lot, they're not really much of a logjam. I think I'd be way more likely to cast a ballot for Helton. 
And Billy Wagner has gone from, this is a pretty fun trajectory, 11%, 10%, 11%, 17%, 32%, 46%, 51%. I have long said that I don't really see a reason why Trevor Hoffman should have been a slam dunk and Billy Wagner should have lagged so far behind. Like The only reason is saves, and I don't care about saves. And it's starting to feel like people are starting starting to come in. I don't have the numbers in front of me. This isn't really relevant to you know him being a Hall of Famer, but um, our friends Jake and Jordan, who write for Cespedes Family Barbecue, pulled up Billy Wagner's college numbers, and they're like the, obscene. They are the greatest numbers like in the history of college baseball. Where if I could find them real quick and tell you, you wouldn't believe me because that's how insane they are. Wait, he did um, pitch like a D three school, didn't he? Uh, he did. Oh wait, I found it. Here we go. If this loads very quickly, I can tell you what his numbers are here. In uh, he went to Ferrum, which I could not even tell you where that is. He went to Ferrum. I think it's in Virginia. Okay. In he, they have a list here of the best single season hits per nine in NCAA history. He owns the top three spots. (laughs) Ninety two at Ferrum, he pitched fifty one and a third innings. Do you know how many hits he gave up in fifty one and a third innings? Nine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 1.6 hits per nine uh he's number two on the list he is also number three on the list obviously that does not make him a hall of famer but it's very funny to me that you go you know put up numbers like that i think he's gonna get in um i i'm maybe a little uncomfortable as we talked about before that he could be in as a closer and some of these starting pitchers like Tim Hudson and Jake Peavy won't when in their day, nobody would have ever traded the like Cy Young quality starter for a good closer. But I've sort of come around to the fact that, you know, relief pitcher is a different position than pitcher, whether we want it to be or not, you know, and, and that's sort of the comparison I'm making. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. But you could, you could probably you could probably make a similar argument for like, you know, someone like, you know, a DH only like David Ortiz as opposed to like, you know, Andrew Jones. Like if in 2005, the, the you know, they had been offered straight up for each other, you probably say no if you're the Braves because Jones is more valuable as like a defense first center fielder, not knowing what the future held, obviously, that David Ortiz would continue to be a, a dominant hitter for another 11 years or whatever. But like, I think that um, – I'm with you. I've just come around the idea that like the relievers are kind of a different, a different, different beast, so to speak. I think at least with Wagner, I appreciate the because my my biggest frustration with Hall of Fame voting has always been like the inconsistencies, right? And it's like okay, like if you think Trevor Hoffman's a Hall of Famer, that's fine, but then like you really should think Billy Wagner's a Hall of Famer too. That's sort of my feeling, and this is this is kind of why I get stuck. And this is what I said when we we talked about this a couple weeks ago, where it's like if you think Scott Rowland's a Hall of Famer, like okay, but like. I don't really see why there's a huge gap between Scott Rowland and Bobby Abreu, right? I just, I just don't really. Um, well, you know, defense, and, right? well, I guess, but like you know, but in just terms of just like you're also putting out your. I mean, yes, but like Bobby Abreu was a was a better offensive player for most of his career, or at least for the peak of his career. Or even find Andrew Andrew Jones. Like, why is there a difference between Andrew Jones and Scott Rowland? Really? I don't really see the, why there's a huge gap between them. So I find it weird how some get more like s- somehow support gravitates towards certain players. And not others. It's like, you know, at least with some players, you're like, okay, well, at least he had pizzazz or he was cool or interesting. You know, Joe Posnanski wrote this week, like, you know, like Bobby Abreu is like the best boring player ever. And like, you know, he falls short for me, which is fine. But like, it's not like uh, Scott Rowland was like this exciting, charismatic player either. He was pretty boring in his own right. Um, so that's where some of those inconsistencies uh, 
Why for me? Similarly, like if you thought Jack Morris was a Hall of Famer, how are you not voting for Andy Pettit, right? It's just that's these are the sort of the things that I don't I don't really get. I think part of it is you are talking about the guys who are, depending on how you choose to value them, between seventh and thirteenth on anyone's ballot, and you can only vote for ten, which is another huge flaw in the process. I think I think that would be a little bit different if you had the ability to vote for as many guys as you want. And we'll talk about that in a second. We'll take a quick break and we'll talk about the near future, the upcoming uh, Hall of Fame ballots in the next couple of years, and what what happened this week could have an impact on them. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Like Petro and Matt Myers, we're talking about the Hall of Fame induction, David Ortiz joining the class of 2022. One of the most interesting things about what happened this year is that obviously Ortiz is inducted, so he's gone. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa and Kurt Schilling have all aged off, right? They've all had their 10 years whether you consider that rightly or wrongly, they are no longer eligible. They will not be on the ballot next year. That takes a ton of the oxygen out of the room, right? There are a lot of people who voted for 10 names, said they wanted to vote for more. Uh, there are a lot of people who voted for these guys who no longer have to worry about them next year. Who does that help? You know, I mean, it helps Roland in a little bit. It helps like Wagner, but I almost wonder if it helps some of the guys who are a little bit lower on the list. Like, for example, uh, it feels to me like this helps Jeff Kent, right? Maybe it helps Bobby Abreu. It might help, uh, you know, I guess it's not like it, you're either voting for Alex Rodriguez or you're not. It's not you couldn't find room for him. Right. Um, but it does feel like there's a couple of guys who may get a little more support on their way. I don't know that Abreu is ever getting in, but like on their way to staying on the ballot for years to come. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think so. But I, I'm with you. I don't think Abreu, it's just I don't think it's ever going to happen. And as I say this as an Abreu supporter, I'm not like I go. I wouldn't go to the mat for him. Ken, I think next year is his last year on the ballot. So like. I bet he'll see a bump, but I still think he's gonna he's gonna falling you know well well short. So I, I kind of yeah. feel like it's 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 over him. I think someone like you know someone like Pettit is kind of interesting because he's got a few years left, and I think there is actually like there's a re- as I said on the last podcast, I think there's a real case you can build for him, especially given the dearth of of starting pitchers from the from the the, the modern era, the, the, you know, sort of the, the recent the recent era. So I think that like that's 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 a guy where there could be a really a, a fairly compelling compelling case for yeah, there's two other things i want to talk about the first is i just sort of looked ahead at like the next six or so years of potential hall of fame classes obviously you don't know for sure like when current players will retire or whatever i think we're you know everybody worries about a shutout i'm not that worried about that for the next three years right like next season uh you know as we said scott roland's got a very good chance carlos beltran will be on the ballot for the first time i think he's probably going to make it i don't know that he's a slam dunk hall of famer in 2024, it's a really good one, right? Adrian, Adrian Beltre, to me, is a slam dunk, no doubt about it. Maybe Chase Utley, maybe Joe Maurer. I'm not so sure about them. The next year, 2025, Ichiro comes on. I think Ichiro is a no-doubt slam dunk kind of guy. I think CC Sabathia has a good shot. I don't know that he'll get in the first ballot. Pedroia, maybe. Uh, 2026 is going to be weird because that would be guys who had their final season in 2020, and I don't think there were that many, like, you know, 
historically great players who showed up for two months and then went home. So that's going to be a weird one. And then after that, 2027 is guys who played their last season this past season. You know who that is? That's Buster Posey. Maybe Albert Pujols. We'll see what his career looks like. And then, you know, 2028 guys who will play their last game this upcoming season. Well, we know Yachty Molina is going to retire. He's already said so. So 2026 is going to be weird. But over the next six years, I'm comf- I'm confident in saying like at least five of those, I you could almost guarantee at least one guy getting in. And I think that's a good one. And I'm not excited to talk about the Hall of Fame in 2026. But <laughs> I think that's if we're still doing this podcast, I think that might be a good time to take a, a, a nice long vacation. <laughs> We'll actually be, but we'll actually be, we'll actually be voters at that point. I think so. You know, I, no, I, I will be. I don't think you'll be. Right? Uh, I'm like two years ahead of you. I gotta, I gotta figure this out. Actually, actually, I actually emailed our colleague Mark Feinstein about this this morning since he's, you know, been part of BBWA leadership. But how I can figure it out exactly because I can't remember exactly what my first first year was. So next year, let's. I think next year is actually really interesting for a variety of reasons. Okay, so like this year, for example, the writers knew that even if they didn't elect anyone, there was still going to be a really robust class going in because we already knew from the, what was it? Which, which, which was it golden era committee? I forget which one it was. That, uh, I don't remember. Oh, it was two, was it two committees, wasn't it? I forget. We already, oh, yes. we already knew Gil Hodges, Jim Cott, Minnie Minoso, Buck O'Neill, um, who am I forgetting? Uh, Bud Fowler and Tony Luva. We're all going in. So like no matter what, even if we're – I mean it's going to be a really big induction ceremony this year. Like every, I keep seeing these stories of like, oh, they voted they voted someone in. I was like, no, we already had six people going in. Six like real legends, you know, whether or not you think that they're like like guys with real stories and big parts of baseball history. So like it's a huge class. Next year is a tricky, okay? And this is like John, – John, John Paul Morosi wrote about this on MLB.com today. So next year the era committee is today's game which is 1988 players who made their biggest impact from 1988 to the present. Lo and behold, who could be eligible for that? Well, that would be Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Kurt Schilling and Sammy Sosa. However, that can, that the, 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 the 10 player today's era ballot that is decided is decided by a separate committee and they can decide it's possible. They will decide, you know what? We actually don't want to consider these guys again, the today's, the today's game committee is going to meet again in two years in 2024. Why don't we just like take a breath on those guys? They just got considered 10 times and let's give the other players of that generation a chance to sort of like be considered without this mess on the ballot. Cause like, as long as like, I think bonds and Clemens and Schilling and Sosa are on the today's game committee ballot, it's going to be hard for anyone else to get in because they're going to suck up so much oxygen and they're going to be so divisive and take up votes on the committee. So, like, this could be the last chance for the likes of, you know, Kenny Lofton, David Cohn, Kevin Brown, Fred McGriff, Bernie Williams to get into the Hall of Fame to be considered. I think if they are considered without Bonds Clemens, one or two of them would have a chance of um, getting in. I want to talk about that that in a second. But separately, what my point is also is – the baseball writers will know by the time they cast their ballots if any of these guys have gone in. So when it comes time to decide whether or not they're going to vote for like Scott Rowland or Carlos Beltran or not, they're going to know, Am I, is it going to be zero people inducted in this summer if I don't vote for Scott Rowland? Or is there, or are, we, are we already selected to invoke, to elect, you know, a McGriff or a Lofton or a, or a Jim Edmonds? And you know what? I, I don't necessarily feel compelled to vote for someone because I'm not worried about there being literally zero people inducted next summer. Does that make That's sense? Really, that does. That's really interesting. Um, so there's a couple of things here. The first is that, you know, we can talk about all the players who might be on this list and we, you know, 
Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, Sosa, right? And then you mentioned some of the other ones like Lofton, Cohn. I think Fred McGriff is obvious. It's not just players, right? Bruce Bochy is almost certainly going to be on this list. Uh, Lou Pinella, I think. Felipe Alou. I think Joe West could possibly be there. <laughs> George Steinbrenner. And, and the, the point is not like to try to identify right now who it should or shouldn't be. But there's a limit, right? And it's not just players. And when you get to the guys on the ballot, you, it's not an up-down vote for everybody. And this is what just cost Dick Allen. You know, there's there's 64 votes and you're only allowed to choose four guys, which is infuriating if you like more than four people. There's two different groups of people at play here. Um, first is like who who chooses who gets on this today's game era committee ballot. And Andrew Bagherley in The Athletic, he has the names. It's it's a historical overview committee of 11 senior writers, reporters and historians. And of the 11 uh, names on this list, I have to, at least from my own point of view, they split pretty evenly into three groups. Uh, a few people I've never heard of, a few people I like very much, and uh, one or two people, maybe the less said about the better. But if you, uh, you know, if you know the way that some of the people on this list approach things, they are never putting these guys on the ballot this year. There's no way Bonds and Clemens and Chilling are getting on the Today's Game. It's just not, it's not going to happen. And then it, let's say they do. Right. Do you think that the players and, you know, historians and whomever has the vote this year, are they going to vote for those guys over, you know, some of their friends who they think were quote unquote clean, whether that's fair or not? Like, it's fun to think about, but there's just no way. And I kind of I go back to that by saying, yeah, everyone's mad at the writers and, you know, appropriately so they're not going to get in on this ballot either. They're going to have an even worse time here. Like two thirds of the writers just said, I think these guys are Hall of Famers. Despite the Hall of Fame changing the rules to make it harder for them to get in, they're not even going to get on this ballot, much less get in. So remember that when you're mad at the writers, also be mad at everybody else in like 11 months. It, it, it would be really interesting though to see to see like how how they are treated by some of the peers. Because when they, they, so there's, there's as you said, there's the committee of writers who decides who gets on this the, the the ten person today's game ballot, and then there's a separate committee of like former players and and media members and like historians who actually have the vote, and some of them are like Hall of Famers, and in the past there have been some Hall of Famers, some of like the old guard, um, a few of whom have like have, have 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 passed away since then, but like who basically were like I'm not showing up for induction if Barry Bonds ever gets in. Right, well, Joe Morgan so, sent that letter. Remember <laughs> exactly. That's what, that's what, that's that's one of the people I'm thinking of, and. I'm curious if that will remain, but I think it's more. What's more likely is I think you know the today's you know they keep doing the today's game thing you know every two or three years, and then you know 15, 20 years down the line, sort of the tides have turned, and there's a new generation of players and rotors and historians who are making these decisions, and that's going to be the point where like Bonds and Clemens get in. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I'm with you. No, I, I don't think so either. Like I said, it, it's very fun to think that they could just like turn around and get inducted in a couple of months. They're not even going to be on the ballot. The whole thing is infuriating. Like I'm I'm annoyed at the writers, I'm annoyed at the Hall of Fame for actively making sure that they couldn't get in. I'm annoyed at the players for doing things that made them, you know, less appealing. And yeah, as I said at the beginning, I still love the Hall of Fame process anyway, which I'm not sure what that says about me. <laughs> uh, that'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We will see you next time.